Well, that was the opening music to Giant, released by Warner Brothers in 1956. And it's directed by George Stevens and stars Elizabeth Taylor, Rock Hudson, James Dean, and a whole bunch of other people. Uh, in particular, I, I liked watching Dennis Hopper and Sal Mineo. Oh, and Rod Taylor. Oh, got to talk about Rod Taylor a little bit. Well, and, and don't forget Mercedes McCambridge, the, mean, the meanest sister-in-law on the face of the earth. Oh, right, yeah. There's, there's a lot of really great characters in this movie, so, yeah. And you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and you can find us on the internet at classicmoviereviews.net and on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash classicmoviereviews and, or just search for Classic Movie Reviews on Patreon. And Patreon is uh, a service that allows us to offer extra content and what we've been doing is producing extra shows every month and there's one what we're calling bonus show where we kind of do our regular review and then a bonus content show which is usually something a little bit different we've uh, reviewed Alien in the theater and just most recently the Twilight Zone 60th anniversary and you can go to Patreon to learn more. And what's great about Patreon is that you can help support the show. Uh, because we do have costs of running the show uh, that we have to cover, as well as we'd like to upgrade some of our equipment. So we're working toward doing that. So everybody who uh, has subscribed to us on Patreon, thank you so much. And for those of, the, of you that haven't, go check it out and see uh, if that's something you'd be interested in doing. And uh, this is Matt Johnson, by the way, coming to you from North Bend, where we're having sun, which is a nice break from the rain. And Bob Johnson here in Los Angeles, where we are also having sun. But we did have a big rainstorm on uh, Wednesday. Man, it was, I felt I'd returned to Seattle in some kind of a time travel machine. It was quite a yeah, but isn't that day. more of a deluge where you like worry about flooding and stuff? <laughs> this one was kind of that plus some regular uh, less rainfall, but a continuous rain, a little bit of both. So um, I want to welcome everyone back and uh, thanks to everyone who's uh, subscribing uh, to our public uh, podcast as well as Patreon and. We've also added Spotify as another source of getting our, our programs. And uh, we're looking forward to talking about Giant from 1956. I remember going to this in, at Christmas time in 1956. I was a sophomore in high school. Couldn't wait for it to arrive because James Dean was, uh, had been recently killed and there was just a whole bunch of hype around this film. I went to, uh, at that time in my hometown, they had two theaters. I went to the... Uh, the newer of the two, you'll love this name, the Georgiana was named after two people. It was packed. It was packed when I went uh, on a Saturday. Couldn't believe it. So it's a, quite a quite a, uh, a movie. Yeah, it's definitely billed, at least now, as, a, as like a James Dean movie. Uh, but Rock Hudson was a pretty big star, and Elizabeth Taylor was a pretty big star at the time as well. Oh my, yeah, they were, and and George Stevens had just had a a huge uh, success with Shane in 1953, which I uh, won some Academy Awards, and he was uh, he was on a roll as well. The whole thing was uh, 
Well, everybody in, in my hometown that I knew of wanted to go. It was so good that my dad even wanted to go. And he, <laughs> he was not the biggest movie fan. My mother was, but uh, he was less so. He was more reserved. Did, did they have an intermission in the theater when it was originally shown? Because uh, yeah. it, it wasn't that way when I watched it on uh TV. You know, I don't recall that there was one because I, I know that with movies like um, Doctor Zhivago and some of those, they did have intermissions. They may have, but I, I don't. Re- I don't remember that. Well, that's a long sit, three hours and eighteen minutes. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> that's a lot of popcorn. <laughs> I thought uh, since there was so much to the movie and we're we're uh, we have a limited time, we might try to look at the major themes from the film. I came up with five of them. There's many. And then maybe talk a little bit about the the author that wrote this and, and our usual sort of synopsis. How does that sound? Let's go for it. Sounds good. Well, uh, George Stevens, just leading off with Mr. Stevens, he, uh, I think he did 55 movies, he directed 55 movies, and many of them are classics, like A Place in the Sun from 1951 with Elizabeth Taylor and Montgomery Clift and many others. Um, if those listeners haven't uh, looked up his background, you might want to take a look at that. He was a big uh, big player in World War II in terms of filming and documenting a whole lot of, uh, of war things uh, in, in the European theater. It really changed his view of, of the world after that, we got back from the war. Um, and Edna Ferber. Uh, now, there was a woman that she must have spent all her time writing. She, she was the uh, equivalent of Rod Serling. She wrote many, many novels that were made into films and, and stage plays. Uh, of course, The Giant is one of them, but she also wrote uh, Showboat, which was not a musical when she wrote it. Uh, it was turned into a musical later in 1926. Cimarron, which was has been filmed twice, the most recent uh, version, 1960, with Glenn, Glenn Ford and a cat, a scale that's as big as this uh, movie, and Saratoga Trunk, which is another. But she she wrote probably a dozen novels and and many short stories and plays, and she was quite a. Uh, Quite a strong-willed, strong woman. And I almost think that Elizabeth Taylor's character in this film in some ways would have mirrored Edna Ferber's life. She had a long life. She lived to be 82. That makes a lot of sense to me because this movie really hits some great themes around, uh, you know, power dynamics between men and women and patriarchy and sort of that besides the themes i'd love to talk about a couple scenes in particular that really stood out to me in that regard well the themes that i came up with as i was looking at it again and kind of pulling my thoughts together it's it's just a giant scale of a film about texas which is a huge state in itself and some of it is patterned after the uh, king ranch which uh back in those days was a real place with over 800,000 acres of land. And uh, Rock Hudson's Benedict Place had, I think he said 500,000. You must tell us about Texas, Mr. Benedict. Well, ma'am, it's not that easy. Um, It's different than any other state. 
I think. At least that's what we think, but it's almost a different country. Mm, well, of course, from an Englishman's point of view, uh, the mere size of it takes your breath away. It's big, all right. And how large are your ranches? Almost every size. Large, small. Mr. Benedict's Riyadi is one of the largest of them all. Oh, really? Well, just how large is that? Oh, it's it's one of the biggest. Mm. How big is that? Well, there's one or two others as big, I suppose, up where we come from. One or two others a bit larger down the coastal plains. <laughs> but come now, Mr. Benedict, can't you be more specific? Well, what's the size of your place? 50,000, 20,000 acres? Around a half million. 595,000 acres, to be exact. <laughs> I'd call that quite a parcel. How many acres did you say, Mr. Benedict? He said 595,000 acres, Mama. And you should see the greedy look on your face. Well, I think one of the themes is just the scale of the of the whole movie i think another uh theme is the love story between ron Hudson and elizabeth taylor as well as the some of the children and um uh, they're uh they're growing up i think that was another one civil rights and the uh the change that took place particularly within uh ron Hudson's character from the beginning to the uh end of the film when he uh, has has quite a has quite a uh, roustabout in that uh, restaurant on their way back from Houston, uh, and uh, Elizabeth Taylor's uh, independence and and uh, striving to uh, hold her own in a, in a male dominated society that was that was one that she was breaking into and there's a wonderful scene about that in the film. Uh, I think that's four. And then if the fifth theme is the political influence that these rich people had. Uh, there was a scene where they're sitting around the swimming pool and they're talking about the oil depletion allowance that was a big tax break. You know, all this oil around here has made a lot of difference. We live pretty much the way we've always have here at Riata. Mm -hmm. Just like we Benedicts found it. Yeah. Big. Lord, it's good you set the concrete pool right down your own front yard, though. Hey, come on in. Oh, <laughs> not now, Luz. <laughs> well, it's good for the young folks. Right. We've made improvements around here, oil and oil. Now, Vic, that 27.5% tax exemption on oil helped out some, didn't it? Bail? Hmm? I'll tell you what old Pinky thinks. What? That oil tax exemption's the best thing to hit Texas since we whooped Geronimo. <laughs> and the finest laws ever passed in Washington. All joking aside, Vic, Bail and I are not adverse to accepting a share of the credit for it. Not at all. How about an exemption for depreciation of first-class brains, Senator? Who's yours? My father's, for instance. He spent his life saving other people's lives. How about some tax exemption there? 
Leslie's always been real sharp talking, ain't she, Vic? Fair enough, Judge. You've always been smooth enough for two. So, I mean, it's got such a scope to it. Um, I, I just, it's, I don't know where to begin on that. But those are the themes I, I picked up on. Yeah, the other one I picked up on, too, was definitely all those. And then something around the idea of, like, the power of money and, and what people will do to get more money. Oh, Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's that's a that's a good addition. I, wasn't uh, uh, is it? Uh, oh, I'm getting uh, James Dean's character. Jet Jet. I was going to say Jeff. Jet Rink. When he's when he finally gets his 600 acres and he's scoping out the the scale of the the 600 acres dancing along the fence. <laughs> he was yeah. like he's like I'm going to hit it big. He just knew it was <laughs> he was dreaming of hitting it big. From the from the get go. Yeah. Do you do you think he was thinking about oil at that time, or do you think he was thinking about just having a big cattle ranch? Uh, b- both of those, but I think also just the independence it produced for him because he came from nothing. That tr- yeah. that truck that he drove around looked like it was about ready to fall apart. Yeah. How was he related to Luz? Was he was he related to her at all? Because there seemed to be kind of a special relationship between the two of them. Between him and and uh, and uh, the Mercedes McCambridge's. Yeah. Uh, I think they had some kind of a relationship that might have also been uh, also sexual in nature. I don't know about that part, but they they did have a close bond because she willed it. She uh, left the land to him. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't clear of that because she really was kind of taking him under her wings and kind of keeping an eye out for him. And well, there, that's another strong woman. Her role. Oh, totally. I mean, not not the not the most likable person, but between Elizabeth Taylor and Mercedes McCambridge, they they that that was unusual, I think, for that time to see two strong women in that kind of a confrontation. Well, they had a great scene together too, where. Uh, Elizabeth Taylor is kind of struggling and then decides that, okay, I, I, I got to take charge here. So she gets up early and is making breakfast and Luz comes down and is like, what, what are you doing up? What, you know, what's going on here? Good morning, Luz. What you doing up? Getting breakfast. Look, Luz, I think there's something that we should get in the clear in the open. I don't want to take your place. I want you to know that. But I can't have you taking my place either. I can't be just a guest in my husband's house. There you are. Good morning, darling. I see you. want everybody to know, no matter what happens around this ranch in the future, I am never going to faint again. Well, I'll never get the hang of you, Miss Van Dyck. And I, I wondered what you thought about Luz, uh, Luz's character in terms of what her expectations were. Because she wasn't too gracious about, you know stepping aside for Elizabeth Taylor's character. Oh, well, I think that uh, the way that was set up, 
she basically was running things, and her brother, uh, Bick Benedict, Rock Hudson's character, was running the cattle and, you know, doing all of that. But she was really the, if you will, the CEO of that ranch, uh, both in her mind and in practical application. And now, on a surprise, or in a surprise, he goes off and marries Elizabeth Taylor, who's a a well-to-do society woman from Maryland. And she comes back, and she's just as strong-willed as as Luz. I think think, uh, there was a three-way power struggle there, and and I don't think Rock Hudson's character wanted anything to do with that. He just wanted to go out and take care of the cattle, brand and rope and roundup and all that. Yeah, I felt like the two women were... The, definitely the stronger character in that three-way triangle there um, because I felt like Rock, Rock Hudson's character Bick Benedict Jr. was more enamored with the idea of the ranch you know like he wanted to he wanted to keep it big he wanted to pass it down to his sons he wanted to kind of keep it the way it was you know and and whereas Luz and uh, Leslie were you know we've got to actually run this thing and keep it going and it's not just going to do that by itself you know well, and 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 the uh, the weirdness part of that for me is that uh, Bick and his cronies, his his group of his groupie of six guys, all thought they were in charge of everything. They oh, yeah. they had their own get together, and the women weren't allowed to talk about you know business or politics. And yet, at the same time, uh, the two women were really in charge. Although I think the scene where they have the big meeting and Liz. Uh, Elizabeth Taylor sort of says, I'm not, basically, and I'm not leaving. I think Luz had already been uh, killed by then. I'm yeah, not, that was after yeah. that. Yeah, that was after that. that. You're talking about the scene where they're sitting around the fire and, and Elizabeth Taylor comes down and says, what you all talking yes, about? Yes, yes. And uh, and you can see in the background, the other women are sort of off by themselves because these guys are, are they they are under the illusion that they're running things. And yet at the same time, at least in this ranch, I think uh, Luz had really been the the person that held it all together. We're just talking business. Just business. Oh, well, please don't mind me. Do go on. I'll listen quiet as a little old mouse. You'd be bored, honey. This is dull. Why, I'd be fascinated. Leslie, we're talking about politics. You married me in Washington, remember, darling? I live next door to politics. Brought up with them. Please do go on talking. I'd love it. This is men's stuff. Leslie, how about a cup of coffee or a drink or something? Men's stuff? Lord of mercy. Set up my spinning wheel, girls. I'll join the harem section in a minute. Now, Lily, don't you go worrying your pretty little head about politics. <laughs> you mean my pretty empty head, don't you, Judge? Could I get the coffee for you, Leslie? You too, Uncle Brutus. You don't feel well, Leslie. I feel just great. My adrenaline glands are pumping beautifully. Boo! 
If I may say so before retiring, you gentlemen date back 100,000 years. You ought to be wearing leopard skins and carrying clubs. Politics? Business? What is so masculine about a conversation that a woman can't enter into? Leslie, you're tired. Perhaps I am. Judge, I think if you get down in Brewster County and start really campaigning, yeah, you might. Yeah, well, we can defend. Pinky? Pinky? I, I reckon I'll go on upstairs and get my beauty sleep. You go ahead on, honey. Good night, gentlemen. Good night, honey. Good night, Good night, Bastard. That's right. Send the children on up to bed so the grown-ups can talk. That's a scene that kind of hits on almost all those themes that we just talked oh. about because yeah. I mean that's a, that's a perfect scene to kind of spend a couple minutes talking about in in this regard because she it it just showed how difficult it would have been for a woman to try to break into that into that literally in that scene like this group of men they just would not let her participate in that conversation even though she was totally capable of having those conversations and she said that she's from Washington D.C. she knows all about politics yeah and and you know? and, and and her husband Mick is all bent out of shape and Goes off. He's kind. Of, I, I sensed he was pouting later that evening. He was like really angry. He's like, "What are you doing, coming into my world and doing this?" She. Well, and they have and they have kind of that scene in the bedroom after that. <laughs> exactly. Where, where he is pouting. He's going to go sleep in the other room. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, <laughs> <laughs> and I think what comes through in these scenes like this one, uh, I I really I didn't I haven't read a lot of Edna Ferber's books, but Cimarron is has some of the same feel to it is she's really writing about her own life mm-hmm. and and her own strong she never married she was very independent she was very successful she was very she was a member of the Algonquin Roundtable in New York City where all the intellectual writers of the time would get together and talk about anything and everything and uh, she was very proud of the fact that uh, in one of in one of her uh, evenings, some of her friends went to dinner at another person's house, and it turned out that a couple of the guests there were anti-Semitic, and she and and her the group that she came with and other people they all just got up and marched out and left. They wanted nothing to do with that. Good for so them. I think, yeah. I think she was. I think she was. I think Elizabeth Taylor, in a way, is is channeling some of that writing that Miss Ferber did. There's a sense in the movie of this pretty big, big scale of not only geography, but there's a pretty long time scale. So at the beginning of the movie, Rock Hudson is probably in his 20s and he's off going to go buy this expensive horse from this family in Maryland. And then that's where he meets Leslie, who's Elizabeth Taylor's character. And then she's strong-headed right from the you know she's yeah, she is <laughs> she's strong-willed right from he's the not beginning. quite sure how to handle that and 
Yeah, but yet they fall in love and, and then they get married and they move out to Texas and, and then it follows their life. And by the end of the movie, I thought it was really fascinating that when we get to that diner scene and Bick sort of name drops the, the Benedict name and the, the diner owner's like, yeah, is that supposed to mean something to me? You know, oh, whereas at, yes. the beginning, oh, yeah. at, the, at the beginning of the movie, I think that that would have been a big deal for him to say, you know, I'm, I'm one of the Benedicts. And I think everybody would have kowtowed to, to that. But as they get to the end of the movie, and I think it's probably in the 50s, is that kind of when it ends? Well, the scope starts in the 1920s and goes up through the mid-50s. When, or Well, 1952 is when she published the book, so the early 50s. So over probably 30, 35 years. Yeah, so a lot had changed to where that just didn't carry as much weight with people. I thought that was an interesting observation that she made. Very much so. You know, another there's they have a there are a lot of scenes in this that they can just pull out and talk about when when Elizabeth Taylor goes to have tea with James Dean in his little shack house, and 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 he's making tea and. They're visiting and all, and I'm like, and, but you look on the you look on the windowsills and the ledges, all kinds of flowers. He's got all kinds of beautiful garden type flowers around the windows. Very a very gentle domestic kind of a scene for him, which is so contrasted with what happens later in the film when he becomes a multimillionaire. Uh, but I, I love that scene. I had no I had not noticed that one when I went to it originally. I, I love that scene for, for that reason, but also I loved his coat that he was wearing. I want that coat. It was so cool. And yes. He's got, he's got that shotgun or that rifle slung over his shoulders, and then he's got a rabbit hanging from his belt. I think he loved to poke at Rock Hudson's character in any way, shape, or form that he could. Just, just, he, just, he just loved to egg him on and then when he struck oil finally and he pulls up in that that wreck of a truck just covered <laughs> he drives across stuff. their lawn yeah, right. he drives across the lawn and then he gets out and he's covered in oil <laughs> I, I was wondering if director stevens had this thing about trespassing on people's lawns because in shane all the bad guys on their horses go running through the riding through the garden Oh, right i remember that at the and, beginning and, of the movie and here's yeah. james dean driving over the lawn Weaving all over the place and jumping down, well, what's, he can hardly. What's great read. about that is it's a it's a total visual way of just showing complete disrespect. Yeah, somebody, you know, yeah. without any words at all. <laughs> yeah, right. And then uh, uh, Bick just can't take it anymore, and he belts him. No, it's the other way around. No, wait a minute. I think Bick hits uh, Jet first. That's Jet yeah. That's it. To, that's it. Jet tries to hit back, but he's. Well, he's covered in oil, so he's probably pretty slippery. Just, just, just before he leaves, he 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 does a number and and doesn't quite connect. But uh, another scene is when uh, they they first arrive at the ranch. Riata, Riata, the name R of the ranch. Riata, Riata, Riata. That house out in the middle of nowhere. My word! It looked like uh, it was almost ghostly. Yeah, that was crazy. They drove for hours, it seemed like, to get from the where the train dropped them off to get to the house. Yeah, I I think a lot of it was filmed near Marfa, Texas, and if I'm not mistaken, I think some of that set still uh, is there. I may I don't want to 
guarantee that, well, I, but I think so. I read that they they shipped out the the facade of the house from California on like six train beds and re, kind of re, reconstructed it out there, but it, was, it wasn't really built to last. It was just sort of like propped up enough that they could film around it and so I don't I don't even know if they actually built the house I'd have to go back and watch if some of that wasn't a matte painting as as they're coming up to it on, from the distance but that makes more sense I doubt that that would still be standing because so many of those sets are well you know when I went back to look uh, up near Lone Pine for the uh, sets and, and history of uh, Bad Day at Black Rock I found the location but there was nothing there it was just it was like it had never been filmed there. So yeah, totally. I'm probably wrong about that still standing. Well, around. I want to, I want to pick up on one thing you said, which is like that scene with Jet at home was like very peaceful and kind of domesticated. I think that really speaks to the tragedy of his character because I think he was sort of more of a sensitive person who wanted to have a life where he was happy and could settle down, and he never did find somebody to be with you know like he, he he really wanted to be with leslie i think and then later in life he tried to be with leslie's daughter les uh the second i imagine he died sort of alone now carol breaker's character was his love interest but well but i think she was a stand-in for her mom for elizabeth taylor her character because oh, remember in the scene where yeah, he's totally yeah. where he's totally drunk in the in the hotel in the end and uncle um What's his name? Uncle... Oh, Uncle Bolly. Bally? Bolly, yeah. Uh, Bally. Chill Wills. Bolly takes, takes Luz down to see him, and he's... All, all he can talk about is Leslie, Leslie, Leslie. Who is Jet? Fight for what is good. Flunky. Flunky for Big Bernie. Her husband. that's when Luz realizes that it was never about her it was about her mom oh okay see that's the thing about this film uh there's so much going on uh I need to be fact-checked on some of the things I'm remembering I think you're right well and it's it's a movie that kind of demands multiple watchings I think because there's just so it's just so long and there's so much that happens and then the whole interaction with the uh the Hispanic community and and the treatment of of how they'd been been over the decades uh, treated, and then she, Elizabeth Taylor's character uh, goes out of the goes out of the ordinary and 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 uh, goes into one of their uh, homes, uh, and and that had I don't think that had ever happened, and she insists on getting a doctor there. 
like you know well yeah because uh she sees that yeah. one of the little babies is really sick and one of those babies turns out to be sal Minio's character later in life and you know he's he's sort of befriended by the family in a way but still kept at arm's length unfortunately but there's that really touching scene when he comes back and he's uh from the war you know and the, and the family they're at the funeral oh yes yes Bick kind of comes <clears throat> over to the parents and gives him one of the Lone Star State flags, and I thought that was pretty sad. It's very sad, and it's also, to me, um, kind of showing a recognition on, on Bick's part that he's he's becoming more aware of what's going on around him with the, uh, the, the groups that he, in the past, that just sort of ignored, and I think that was an influence that Elizabeth Taylor had on him for him to go to that and do what he did. I think what's really neat about this movie is that it, you said how popular it was and the theater was full, and I imagine that that was the case all over the country. And so all these people are going to watch this movie where there's these really prominent and strong social themes about women's rights and uh, the rights of immigrants and civil rights. And I love that that, that, that was being presented in that way. Well, and you know, no, none of these changes came about like quickly. <laughs> In fact, a lot of them are still unfolding. But for the mid nineteen fifties, when Brown versus the Board of Education on segregation in schools had just been decided a year or two before this, when uh, the diversity in the population was just barely being recognized, here's a film, and I had to look this up because I. I was interested in how much money it grossed. It grossed for the time, if you put it into current dollars, $355 million. Whoa, <laughs> jeez. It was, it was it, in, in 1956, it was $39 million, but if you convert it, it's a, it's a huge blockbuster. And so people going to, even people in Texas like the film, even though it had a lot of messages in there that weren't that positive in terms of how the culture and the, the political well, I read, system Well, I, I read that Rock Hudson went to a, a screening uh, and people were booing his character on the screen. And he's like, well, is it, what's, you know, why are they booing? But then at that last scene in the diner, they were cheering him on. And he goes, oh, they're not, they're not booing me. They're booing my character. The, <laughs> right. Just, just jumping all over the place, you know, that, that scene in the diner. And, and they start to have that fist fight, and the music comes on, the Yellow Rose of Texas. Oh, yeah. Oh, now let's see. The big plane should be arriving in Benedict from 1.30. That should give the Hollywood people yeah. time enough to make Dallas. You're in the wrong place, amigo. Come on, let's get out of here. Vamos, andale. Your money's no good here. Come on, let's go. You too. Hold on, man. Yes? What do you want? Now, look here, Sarge. I'd sure appreciate it if you were a little more polite to these people. Oh, you would, would you? I'm Vic Bendick. Your neighbor, you might say. Does that give you special privileges? The name Benedict's meant something to people around here for a considerable time. That there papoose down there. His name Benedict, too? 
come to think of it. It is. All right, forget I ask you. Now, you just go back over there and sit down, and we ain't going to have no trouble. But this bunch here is going to eat somewhere else. All right, come on, let's go. Take care. Come on, you two. Sue me. Well, you're out of line, mister. That was the number one song at that time when they made the film. Oh, wow. That was a big hit. <laughs> oh, that's cool. And then it near nearer the end when when Elizabeth Taylor says to him, "You never looked more handsome and desirable to me than when you were laying on the floor with lettuce on you, and we reserve the right to serve anybody on your that little sign on his oh, chest." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Actually, you know, this film, in a lot of ways, is kind of a nice lead-in to our uh, films that we're going to have starting in December into the new year on diversity and and people of color. Because you know, this this hits on a lot of different areas in that in that way. In a begin in a beginning way, they had to start somewhere. Yeah, well, there's a really great scene where um, Bick Benedict's son, played by Dennis Hopper. Jordan Benedict III, and he and his wife, is it Juan Benedict, played by Eliza Cardenas, yep, um, yep. Go, go to that hotel at the end, and she wants to freshen up and get her hair done and, and whatnot, and so she goes to the beauty parlor, and those two women refuse to serve her. Sorry, but it happens to be Mr. Jet Rink's orders himself, and I'm just working here. It's everybody's orders. Same all over town. The young lady should have gone to Sanchi's place where they do her people. And they say that it's on Jet's orders, you know, and, and uh, Jordan Benedict goes down there and throws a flower pot through the mirror and just is so upset. And then, and then he and his dad have a big blow up about how his dad wasn't ever really standing up for 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 his family his wife but only because his honor was you know tarnished i know that's a powerful him. scene yeah so it, it again it's it's an amazing film for what it covered i'm surprised he was able to get it in in three hours and 18 minutes <laughs> the studio i guess was thinking it was going to be like two and a half hours in length but there was no way they could uh they could it'd be hard to it'd be that. hard to cut some stuff out. Yeah, it didn't feel like there were places that I felt like why is this scene in there or you know boy they could cut this out or they could shorten this up. Everything seemed like it fit together really well. You make a good point though. It's the kind of film you'd want to watch again because every time I I've watched it maybe five times and I I see more things each time I, I watch it and. Um, the, the scene where uh, she's denied service in that beauty salon of that fancy hotel was reminiscent of the scene that Gregory Peck had in Gentleman's Agreement where he was politely told to leave that hotel because he, because he was Jewish. So, I mean, it, 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 it lives, it's alive and well in these films, but 
This one at least started to really kind of get into this subject. The subjects, there's many subjects. That's for sure. You wanted to, you, yeah. There's a. I was going. Oh, go you, ahead. you mentioned that you wanted to you mentioned just a minute about Rod Taylor's character, and I wanted to add one about um, Dennis Hopper's character. But you first. Yeah. So Rod Taylor, um, Sir Sir David Carfrey. That's that's <laughs> a name I'd have trouble remembering. I uh, know. I just, I just, when I when I saw him on the screen, I was like, "Oh, Rod Taylor! I just love him and his movies, like The Time Machine." And yeah, that's one of my favorite movies. And and Haley and Noah and I were watching Giant together. And I said, "Oh, we should, we got to watch The Time Machine because that's time machine. that's a great film about sort of uh, some more social issues that are oh, brought up in that movie as well." But yeah, an H.G. Wells special for yeah, sure. But I, I really. Th- Really liked his character, um, and I thought it was funny how Elizabeth Taylor's sister, younger sister, is all excited that uh, that Elizabeth Taylor is going to be going off with Bick because that leaves uh, her to have Sir David to herself, and then they end up getting married. Yeah, because I think Rod Taylor was more romantically uh, uh, wanted to be more romantically involved with Elizabeth Taylor's character until Rock showed up. So, well, I wanted to mention with Don, uh, Dennis Hopper, because James Dean was killed in that tragic uh, car wreck before this film was completely put together, I guess near the, in some of the scenes, Dennis Hopper had to mimic his voice. And I don't know which scenes it is, or they are. See if I can find it here in my notes. Yeah, like in the post production, I, I read that too. They had, yeah. they had, he had to do some of that. Uh, Nick Adams overdubbed some of Dean's lines, which were nearly inaudible, as Rink's voice. Um, and then the other thing is that George Stevens took it over a year to put this into final form. So. Having wa- wow, that's a lot of film. That's a, a lot of film to put together. 850,000 feet of film. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like how you just, you just had that on your fingertips. <laughs> no, I, I did, yes. I, I've been to the a number of, and today that would all be digital, but I, I read that. I, I did a lot of research on this because I kept getting deeper and deeper into it. Okay, but we should we should talk about a few things that, that bothered me about the movie, though. Okay, um, okay. The first one was that Elizabeth Taylor wasn't nominated for leading actress, but both Rock Hudson and James Dean were nominated for leading actors for Academy Awards, and I thought that was bull. That was BS. That's amazing, yeah, because that was a real. That was probably the that and Butterfield Eight are two of her best performances ever. Well, and she was just as as good and and if not better than James Dean, in my opinion. And I have to say that. I really, really like James Dean in this movie for the first two hours. And then I thought, and it's not just because of his character. I just thought his acting wasn't as good in the last hour. And he just seemed uncomfortable in that aging makeup and, and the way that they kind of, I, th- I feel like they shaved part of his hair to make it look like he had a receding hairline. But yeah, I, I just, I thought that she was strong the whole way through and, and really believable, even as they did the aging makeup and, you know, trying to play people... 30 years they're you know they're senior so that that bothered me i didn't like that the other thing yeah was was generally i I really liked the movie for the first two hours and then the last hour of it 
it just it just wasn't as engaging to me as the first two hours for some reason. I, I, I don't know. I haven't quite put my finger on why. And I'm hoping it's not because I just didn't like the, the characters, you know, because that would be a good thing. Like if, if I thought the characters were not likable because I think they were supposed to be not likable in some ways. But yeah, I don't know. What do you what anything in the movie that you felt was like not up to par? Well, I, you hit upon one that I hadn't really thought thought about but the last third of the film when it sort of switches to uh, uh, Jet's got all that money and he's just gone hog wild with it uh, the contrast between that and the earlier part of the movie was noticeable I, I hadn't really thought about it because there were so, much, so many other things going on I think also that the last part of it has the had the feel to me that it had been done more on a soundstage. Yeah, and like the true. the parade scene, you know, at the airport, where where James Dean waves. Yeah. that was filmed here in Burbank at the uh, Bob Hope Airport. So it, it the scale of it to me changed. Um, I think that might be what my top of the head reaction would be to that. Yeah, if you watch, if you go back and watch it, watch the scene where Jet Rink comes in to make one more pitch at trying to get Bick to um, sell some of his land or, you know, allow some of his land to be developed for oil. And I just found uh, James Dean's performance to be not very strong in that scene. He he had all the power there. He had all of the the strength, but he played it off as just sort of like he was still a bit kowtowed to to Bick and I don't know I, I don't know if I agree with that I think he would have come in and he would have been a lot a lot stronger a lot, in a lot that stronger. scene and and having done only three movies that may be uh, a craft a part of his craft that he was still needing to develop we'll never know I gotta yeah, think about I mean, that it's I, hard I, to know I don't know um well, something to think about. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I'd love, I'd love to hear from anybody who's listening out there that uh, what you th- what you think. But to me, the movie really kind of breaks down into two parts: the first two hours and then the last hour. And I realize that those don't line up with sort of the um, three acts of the movie. But but in terms of like the strength of the performances and sort of the way that I felt engaged with the movie just changed. In the last hour. Well, the other thing that that I I don't know is uh, what was the sequence in in the filming of the of the movie. It could, it could very well have been that the last part of the film was 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 filmed first. Yeah, that's you, true. And and maybe maybe there's something to that. I don't know. I did want to be. I did not want to forget. You've seen James Dean in the three movies that he made. What did you think? of his role in all, each of the three. Yeah, I think that'd be great to kind of look at that. So I, I I, would say that my favorite one is East of Eden. And then... And then I would say, I'd probably say Giant. The first two hours of Giant would be my second favorite. And then Rebel Without a Cause. And then the last hour of Giant would be my... kind of on the bottom of my list. Um... I would go with the same kind of sequence of of uh, his work. Uh, East of Eden of the three, just it just seems that everything comes together in that one, and the scale of it is 
is not immense like Giant. But uh, I'm now I'm wondering if in Giant the last third of the film had been filmed first before they went to Texas. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe he was just warming up to the character and 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 it really didn't get into it. Yeah, I don't want to like overplay that. I I I still thought he did a really good job, and he, <clears throat> I think his character was supposed to be not likable. So I I totally get that. It's just that his performance he just seemed he just felt it just felt uncomfortable like he just wasn't as strong as he was like in east of eden or in that scene that we were talking about when elizabeth taylor's character visits him at his little shack you know yeah and boy the contrast between that scene when they were visiting in his little shack and and near the end of the film when he falls down and that whole table collapses in the bar because he's in the banquet room that's <laughs> those those are quite different characters oh yeah wow, amazing oh yeah totally uh, and the i like the end of the film where uh bick and elizabeth taylor's character are on the couch and those two little children are there and uh the animals in the background do you think he sent was sending a message in the film? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love the ending yeah. of it and the way that they kind of alternated between the two babies and how yeah. I think the, the the message I got was that we're we're not that different, right? Like yeah. these are just two two lives, two little babies. They have just as much right to be there as, as anybody else. And so I I really like that. I did want to mention one scene that made me laugh really hard there. Uh, this is kind of when the kids are going off to college and Bick and Le- and Leslie are sitting in bed, in their separate beds. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> yes. And Leslie says something like, well, you know, we're just getting older and, the, you know, the kids are going off. And I just looked at Haley and Noah and said, totally relatable. I said, relatable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, isn't that, that everybody, every family goes through that? Well, um I I gave the film I would give the film a nine. I didn't quite top out at ten. I I just it's hard for me to give it the same level of uh, review as Gentleman's Agreement. But it's close. It's a, it's it's a dandy. I sure would recommend it. I would give it a nine as well. Just for I think what knocked it down from a ten was some of the. The weaker scenes in the in the last third of the movie for me, but otherwise I I really recommend it. I would definitely watch it again. Do you think there's a way we can find how how they sequence the filming of it? Oh, you know, there's stuff out there about yeah. that. I'm sure there's a probably a whole book. <laughs> yeah, there probably <laughs> at least a whole book. Yeah, so we should look that up and report back. Report back in a week. Okay. Um, and he asked, "What are we doing next?" So next, yeah, next episode is going to be for patrons uh, at tier two and three, and that's going to be um, a Christmas Carol from 1951, otherwise known as Scrooge. And then the next public episode will be a Christmas in Connecticut, and our plan is to release that one on Christmas Day. So that'll be uh, perfect timing for that. And then we're going to be moving into our uh, People of Color Festival, and we've got a list of movies uh in the heat of the night is one and then there's a couple movies that were filmed in the i want to say 50s i'll have to double check but they're all black casts and they're westerns 
Oh, yes. Uh, Harlem on the Prairie and Murder in Harlem. Yep, I got that one from Netflix, and so I'm going to watch that uh, this weekend. And then we have a host of other ones, uh, Bridge to the Sun. I watched Murder Street again with Ricardo Montalban. That's a dandy. uh, John and I watched that. And Nancy and, I, Nancy and I like Christmas Carol so much, we watch it again night before last. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. It was a good movie. So that's, uh, that's Giant. That's our review of Giant. And uh, coming to you from North Bend, it's Matt Johnson. And in Los Angeles, Bob Johnson wishing everyone happy movie watching and happy holidays. Yep. Happy holidays, everybody. When you tumbled rearward and landed crashing into that pile of dirty dishes... You were at last my hero. That's what you always wanted to be, you know. Could be. When we went into that place before the fight started. Oh. Oh, what a fight. It was glorious. Before we went into that place, I was feeling like you are now. I was thinking to myself, well... Jordan and I and all the others behind us have been failures. And then it happened. You wound up on the floor, on your back, in the middle of the salad. And I said to myself, well, after a hundred years, the Benedict family is a real big success. You want to know something, Leslie? If I live to be 90, I'm never going to be able to figure you out.
and his name is Eddie Mueller. He's one of the hosts on, on Turner Classic Movies. <clears throat> his specialty is film noir. He, has his, he heads up the Film Noir Foundation. <laughs> if there was such a thing. There is. No, there is. Oh, there really is? Oh, yeah. He, he has a Film Noir Festival in San Francisco every year. Oh, my gosh. That's cool. It's really big. I mean, John has over 200 Film Noir movies. Wow. Film Noir Festival in San Francisco sounds fun. We should put that on our calendars for 2024. <laughs> the, the year, let's see, I think 2011, 2010, something like that, I had plans to go to it. Oh, I'd even really? I'd even scoped out the cost and the whole, the little motel near there. And then uh, as as my good luck would happen, I met Nancy. Oh my gosh. Well, and that so was that, that that plan changed. That was a good turn of events, better than going to the Film Noir Festival. Oh yeah. Well, by now exact absolutely. 